This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts this morning. If you would, Acts chapter 2 is where we're at. We're continuing our series entitled Better Together. We're taking a look at uh, what the Bible says about the local church and why that's so important to us. And so uh, if you missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up at our website at huikala.church. Uh, you can su- subscribe to our podcast. We have a Huikala app you can download. The really cool part about the Huikala app is if you click the button that says podcast and you click on today's message, you can actually fill in your notes on your device today if you want to do that. And so when you get down to the end, it'll allow you to actually send an email to yourself with your notes that you took for the day. Uh, whatever you do, take good notes, listen to the message, stay engaged. Uh, and so the Hui Kala app will help you do that as well. Also, if you have the Hui Kala app, you can pre-register for next Sunday service. Uh, pre-registration is already open for that if you want to do that. And so... Uh, Somebody had told me that today's uh, service was actually at capacity, and so I didn't know that. And so some people said, I had to come to 8 o'clock because 10 o'clock was full. And so, again, I just appreciate your patience uh, during this time. And whenever we can get back to normal, I promise you nobody wants it worse than I do. So uh, thanks for being um, amazing during this time. Acts chapter 2 is where we find ourselves today. We're, We're finding the very first New Testament church ever. And we learn things from the early church that we can put into practice in our church and some of the reasons why we do things the way that we do that we find through the uh, first church here in Jerusalem. And so we find ourselves, just to give you context, Jesus uh, at the end of the four gospels, crucified, resurrected on the third day by his own power. We serve a risen king this morning. And we find ourselves beginning of Acts chapter one. Jesus says in uh, verse number eight, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when you receive that power, you're gonna tell everybody in the entire world what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced. And so, We find ourselves here in Acts chapter two, the beginning of the chapter. The Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles. They begin to preach and teach the gospel. They begin to tell people about Jesus and everything that he's done for them. And the Bible says that they received the Holy Spirit and they spoke so that every person heard in their own language. God gave them the supernatural gift of being able to speak in foreign languages to them. But other men heard the gospel in their own language. And Peter really preaches a a strong gospel message. Jesus came and died to pay for your sins, but you put him to death and you uh, are the reason why he died. And the people that heard this message, thousands that heard the message, they asked themselves a really important question in verse 37, which we're gonna see in just a moment. That is, what are we supposed to do with what we've heard? And I wanna challenge you as you study the word of God and become a Bible scholar yourself, that you ask yourself as you read the Bible, what do I do with what I've learned today? Today's message will be a little bit more teaching in nature. Uh, Every single week here at Hui Kala, we take a look at the scriptures. We take a look at what the Bible says, and then we take a look at what that means to us. What do we do with the information that we have? Today's gonna be a little bit more teaching in nature and the fact that we're gonna teach you and train you what the Bible says as far as the ordinance of baptism and why that's so important to us as Bible-believing Christians. And then at the end, we're gonna have a practical application for sure, but if we're gonna lean a little bit heavier to one side today, a little bit heavier on the teaching side as we understand why baptism is so important to us as a church. Acts chapter two, starting in verse number 37. Now, when they heard this, the gospel message that, that Peter had preached When they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and unto the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
For the promise is unto you and unto your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as call on our Lord God shall call. With many other words he did testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking in bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Last week we took a look at, really the last two weeks, we took a look at how the local church is a community. And the root word of that word community is the things that we have in common. Uh, We have certain things that we share together in common uh, by being part of community. Uh, We we pray together. We share meals together. uh, There's certain things that we celebrate together. And Jesus gives us two ways that we can remember him, honor him, and celebrate him in Scripture. And that is one through baptism and the other through the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, communion, whatever you want to call it. So we'll be taking a look at those over the next two weeks. Today we'll take a look at baptism. Next Sunday we'll take a look at the importance of the Lord's Supper and how that relates to us as the local church together. It's important to understand that when it comes to matters of doctrine, you and I need to be 100% accurate. We need to know what the Bible says, what it teaches, how that applies to our life, how that relates to our relationship with God. For us as Bible-believing Christians, God's Word is everything to us, and it always has the final say. It always has the final answer. Is something right? Is something wrong? I don't get to choose that. You don't get to choose that. The Bible always chooses it for us. When it comes to what churches are doctrinally accurate, I don't get to make that determination. You don't make that determination. The Bible makes that determination for us. And so I want to challenge you, become a student of God's Word. You need to know the Bible inside and out. You need to know it cover to cover. You need to know what God expects of you. You need to know what makes a church a good church or a bad church based on doctrine, not based on what kind of music they have or what kind of programs they have for the kids, but based on what does the Bible say when it comes to a matter of doctrine. We take a look at that today. It's interesting, false doctrine has been around as long as Christianity has been around. Really, if you read through the, uh, the New Testament, there were letters that, that, that Paul wrote, letters that Peter wrote, letters that John himself wrote that all combated false doctrine in the early church. So the church is only maybe a dozen, two dozen years old, and there's already bad teaching come into the church. And this would continue all throughout church history, continues even today, bad doctrine that's out there uh, that leads people astray from the truth. And so as we look at this, it's important for us to, to understand that baptism really comes down to a matter of doctrine. What does the Bible say about baptism? How do we carry it out in the right way? What are other churches doing that would be unbiblical, a way that they're uh, using baptism? We'll take a look at that as we unpack today. When we look at church history, and we'll kind of unpack church history in a few more weeks uh, as well, we see the church that Jesus started here is empowered on the day of Pentecost. They receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter preaches the first gospel message. 3,000 people get saved. 3,000 people get baptized. The church begins. Uh, it tells us in uh, verse number 48 here, that, uh, or verse 47, that people are being saved on a daily basis in the early church and added to this group of believers So we have the church that Jesus started here in Jerusalem. It would continue on. Then probably 
not too long, just a, maybe a dozen years or so, false doctrine comes in. Paul says, hey, knock it off with that over there. Uh, writes a, a, a letter to the church at Galatia and says, hey, there's bad teaching coming in that's saying that you have to follow the law and follow Jesus. That's bad teaching. Keep on track here. He writes a, a letter to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians, where he says, hey, there's false teachers in your church. You need to kick them out and get back to the, the word the way that it should be. So false doctrine has been around since the beginning of Christianity, but uh, we really began to see what we would say, say is a major split at about 200 AD after the Bible's already been completed. Uh, about 200 AD, there were three major doctrinal issues that came up that caused a split in the church that the church would never recover from, uh, from the uh, aspect of unity goes. The first doctrine that came into the church that really caused division was the idea of church hierarchy. The idea that one church would have say over another church or another group of churches uh, and basically what happened was there was a, a smaller churches were being overtaken by larger churches and these larger churches would make decisions for the smaller churches. Think of it this way, say for example, you know, our church had uh, an association that we were part of in Oahu, that there was one pastor that called the shots for all the churches on Oahu and then there was another pastor that called the shots for all the churches that were in Hawaii and then there was another uh, pastor that called the shots for all the churches that were in Pacific and we kind of create a hierarchy of churches. The Bible says here's the hierarchy for the church. Jesus is the top his church is underneath that. That's it. That's all the hierarchy that we need. We as a local church would be an autonomous local church in the fact that we don't need anybody's permission to do anything whatsoever. When we decided we were going to start having services again, we didn't have to get permission from anybody. I didn't have to write a letter to an association or a group or a synod or a diocese or anything like that. We just decided, hey, we're going to have church. Here's how we're going to do it. And, and we started having church services. When we signed the lease on the property that you're seated in today, we got some guys of our church together. We took a look at the lease. We prayed about it. We took a vote together as a church family. We decided to pull the trigger on it. We signed a sheet of paper and we went forward. We didn't have to get permission from anybody. Nobody had to sign off on it. I didn't have to go before a board. Uh, I didn't have to you know, present our case to any hierarchy or, or anything like that. The local church is autonomous. It's self-governing. That's God's plan. The idea for God's church is that every church would be led by a pastor. Paul writes to Titus in Titus chapter one. Titus was a young pastor. And said, Titus, I left you in Crete for this reason. I want you to go to every city and I want you to appoint a pastor in every city. And here's the guidelines and qualifications that that pastor needs to follow. That's the God's plan for church governance. That Jesus would be at the top. There would be a pastor who's able to be a godly man uh, or multiple pastors that are godly men that can lead the church and guide it uh, into biblical doctrine and fulfilling Jesus's mission. That's God's plan. So doctrinal error number one was a hierarchy of churches that we have was a problem. Now, there were churches who says, hey, we're not buying into your hierarchy. We're gonna continue to do our own thing. We don't wanna be a part of any type of, uh, of structure that you have. And we're not gonna allow anybody to call our shots for us. We're gonna continue to be separate the way that Jesus intended us to be. Second major doctrinal error that came into the church, and this was critical, was the false doctrine of baptismal regeneration. Baptismal regeneration says, it's good that you put your faith in Jesus, but your sins cannot be washed away until you are baptized. And the moment that you are baptized, then your salvation takes effect. And then no one can be saved apart from baptism. And the early church that we're looking at the scriptures, go, wait, wait, this could not be further from the truth. This definitely is not the case because Jesus alone saves. Our faith in Jesus is what actually uh, unlocks his grace for us. Our repentance of our sin is what saves us. Baptism never saved anyone. And these churches continued in the early days to say, we reject the hierarchy. We reject the idea of baptismal regeneration. That then led to the third era of the early churches that split at about 200 AD. 
The third major doctrinal error was the error of infant baptism. Well, if you have an idea that baptism will allow people to go to heaven, then we want everybody to go to heaven, so we want to baptize as many people as possible. And if we want our children, if they were to die, God forbid, we want them to go to heaven, so we should baptize these babies as well. And so enter in the false doctrine of infant baptism, or what's sometimes referred to as pedo-baptism. And so there were churches originally who said, we're not going to buy into that. No hierarchy for us. No baptismal regeneration for us. No infant baptism for us. And there became a split in the early church. Lest you think that that was a bad thing, it's always good that we separate from doctrinal error. For example, if next Sunday I come in and I said, hey guys, our church is kind of changing its position on how you get to heaven. From here on out, I'm going to be the guy who calls all the shots. I get to determine from here on who goes to heaven and who doesn't. I hope that you would have enough doctrinal fortitude to grab me by the neck and take me outside on the sidewalk and tell me to never come back ever again. Because doctrine separates. And that's a healthy thing sometimes because we need to separate ourselves from false doctrine. So uh, some of the early churches separated from this false doctrine. Some early churches continued in the false doctrine. We'll see in a few weeks here how at about 300 AD, there was an emperor of Rome called Constantine who saw a cross in the sky and heard a voice from God. God told him that he should be the head of the church. And Constantine says, well, I'm a, a warrior. That's what I do. I fight. But where can I get a hierarchy of churches already in place? And so he takes a group of people who were not doctrinally solid to begin with, who already had a hierarchy in place, and deemed himself the leader of the Holy Roman Catholic Church in about 300 or so AD. And he took over this false doctrinal structure that was already in place and which we now know of today as the Roman Catholic Church. And so we see a split happening very early on. And how did the split happen? With doctrine. And to this day, Bible-believing Christians differ from the Roman Catholic Church and many who would split off from the Roman Catholic Church on what baptism really does for us. It's important to understand from the Bible, baptism doesn't save anyone. Baptism doesn't get anyone to heaven. Baptism is only a picture of a decision that you made to follow after Jesus. So as we break this down this morning, first of all, we need to define what terms are. Verse number 41, they that gladly received his word were baptized. The Greek word that is used there uh, when uh, Luke wrote the book of Acts is the word baptizo. The word baptizo, which we translate into baptism, literally means to plunge, to dunk, or to submerge. It means to completely and totally cover. In this case, we're talking about with water to baptize someone. Now, the word baptism uh, in the Bible doesn't necessarily always point to uh, the water baptism of a believer. The Apostle John says that uh, there's one coming, and when he comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, nobody's ever actually been baptized by fire. Nobody's ever actually physically been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But John says that because the word baptism means to completely submerge by and the moment that you and I were saved, if you've been a, a saved and you're a born-again Christian, the moment that you were saved, the Holy Spirit completely and totally submerged you, completely plunged you under the power of the Holy Spirit. And we would say at that moment that you received the Holy Spirit and that you were saved and you were baptized by the Holy Spirit the moment that you were saved. Now, Pentecostals would say that you get saved over here and then maybe one day you might get the Holy Spirit and then maybe one day you might be baptized by the Holy Spirit and then that'll be evidenced by signs, miracles, wonders, tongues, and, and, and supernatural sign gifts. But the book of Romans says, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. In other words, if you're a Christian, you don't have the Holy Spirit because you're not a Christian. 
So again, the baptism that takes place for us as Christians is what we see here in the book of Acts. You accept Christ as Savior and then you are baptized as a result of it. Baptism, it's been often said, is a public display of a private decision. Baptism always follows after my decision to be saved or to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. It's important to understand that biblical baptism has a pattern that we have to follow because it's the pattern that Jesus gave us. First of all, biblical baptism always takes place by immersion. Complete and total plunging underneath the water because the word baptized by definition means to completely submerge. We'll take a look at in a moment how baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But biblical baptism always takes place by immersion. It always happens after salvation. And it always happens under the authority of a local New Testament Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. This is how one gets baptized. So say, for example, someone gets baptized as a baby. Well, they never heard the gospel. They never accepted Christ as Savior at a week old. And they get baptized. Well, that's not a biblical baptism. We never find a single time in any of the Bible where a child is baptized uh, who is a baby. We never see a single instance in the entire Bible where someone who is not saved is is baptized. So again, it's always important to understand baptism always takes place by immersion after salvation. So if someone was baptized, say, as a baby, we would say that you have never truly been scripturally baptized. There are times in people's lives where maybe they were baptized as a teenager because they, all their friends were getting baptized, they decided to do it too, and then later, uh, maybe as an adult, they accepted Christ as Savior and are saved. They now need to be baptized. They say, well, I got baptized when I was a teenager. You got baptized when you were unsaved, which is not a legitimate scriptural baptism. So we would say this person who has come to faith in Christ now needs to be baptized scripturally by immersion after salvation in a uh, local New Testament church. Other folks have come over from churches who teach false doctrine or false religion. Maybe they were baptized in a church where that church teaches that baptism is what saves you. Uh, Maybe they were in a church who uh, they were taught that their religious actions saved them. Well, you weren't baptized in a true New Testament church then. Because anyone that teaches there's another way to heaven other than Jesus is not a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. So there are folks who have come to Huikala who have maybe gotten baptized in a church that teaches a false doctrine. uh, And we've asked them to be baptized in our church uh, to identify with solid biblical doctrine. And many people have have submitted to that and say, I want to do that because I believe in the doctrine that we find in Scripture Other folks have been baptized maybe a second time because the first time that they got baptized, they weren't actually saved. Uh, There are those folks who have uh, been baptized because when they were baptized, they were baptized by somebody grabbing a cup of water and pouring it over the top of their head or taking a handful of water and placing it on their forehead and they've been decided to be baptized scripturally. But the idea of baptism, you have to follow the the guidelines that we find in scripture by immersion, uh, after salvation in a local New Testament church. Now, the early church, uh, say around the uh, 1200 to 1300 AD time frame, there were folks who were coming over from false churches to these churches, and these churches would say, if you've accepted Christ as Savior, you now need to be baptized. And they said, well, I already got baptized in my last church. And they would say, no, you need to be baptized scripturally. And these people uh, in these early churches that were separate from false teaching, we would say that they were a true church. They kind of got a bad rap for being known as the rebaptizers. They called them the Anabaptists. And the term rebaptizer was actually a derogatory term. Oh, you're a part of that church where they required you to get baptized again, even though you've already been baptized. 
And so the term Anabaptist or Baptist was actually a derogatory term that was given to these people because they didn't see other people's uh, baptisms as valid. We would say that there, if there wasn't a scriptural baptism, then it wasn't a valid baptism. So that's how the name Baptist came about. We'll take a look at that when we look at church history in a few weeks as well because we need to know where we came from and why it's so important. Uh, I, I believe that labels are really important. Uh, we need to know what we're getting into. Uh, our church uh, constitution and bylaws is about a 24-page document that tells you exactly what our church believes, uh, just about every uh, kind of thing that you can imagine because I want people to know what they're getting into. Uh, some people have read our church doctrinal statements. Well, I don't agree with what the church believes on abortion. Well, you get two options. You can either choose to, uh, to believe what we believe or you can choose to find a different church because where we stand is where we stand. And they wouldn't have known that if they hadn't seen our, our church constitution and bylaws and our doctrinal statement. Other folks who say, well, you know, I believe that maybe there's a, another way to heaven other than Jesus Christ. Well, friend, if you believe that, then you're not a Christian. This would definitely would not be a good church for you because we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he's the only way to heaven. And so doctrine, again, always divides. Uh, and it's important to know what you're getting into. And I think labels are important uh, to identify us uh, as a Bible-believing Baptist church. We identify with Christians who throughout the last 2,000 years have held to the Bible as our sole source of authority. Now, does that mean that every church that calls themselves Baptist is, is doctrinally sound? Not at all. Every, every group that calls themselves a church is not doctrinally sound or even a church for that, that, that means. But it basically means we identify with these group of people who have historically held to be a people of the book. We, at, who we call a Baptist church are unashamedly a Baptist church. We're unashamedly a Bible-believing Christian church. We're not gonna compromise on matters when it comes to, to doctrine on what the Bible says. I'm gonna be 100% straight when it comes to this. Now, I do wanna say before we go any further here today, we're gonna be talking about doctrine and why good doctrine is important. We're gonna take a look at uh, truth versus error. And we're gonna take a look at really towards the end of the message at some churches who have erred in the faith and erred from good doctrine. And I wanna say this as a caveat before we go any further. What we're talking about today is meant for the purpose of helping you to become a discerning Christian and to live out your faith in a real tangible way. Today is not ammunition to get into an argument with a coworker. It's not something that you should post online to get at somebody today. Uh, we never use God's word as a weapon against other people to hurt them or damage them or to mock them or ridicule them or to put them down. We always use God's word to build people up and point them to truth. And so the Bible says that knowledge puffs up. It's very easy for us to, to get a bunch of Bible facts and a lot of Bible knowledge, allow our head to swell, and then we think that we're somebody. This is the opposite of that. I want us to be a church that walks in humility, who completely, totally puts off pride, that when somebody's wrong, I want to understand where they're coming from and where they got off track so that I can help them get back on track. We'll take a look at that as we get towards the end of the message. But I want to understand this. This is all in a spirit of humility, understanding what the Bible says, not why we're right and everybody else is wrong, but why God's word is always the prescription for success in the Christian life. We take a look at baptism and what baptism is. First of all, baptism is a testimony. Baptism tells other people about the decisions that I've already made. First thing that baptism does is it testifies, first of all, of salvation. We talked about how baptism never saves anyone, but Jesus Christ saves everyone. Anyone who has ever been saved and whoever will be saved is saved by two things, faith and repentance. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I'm turning from my sin and turning to Jesus as my Savior. Those are the only two things that will save you. If you ever 
Find a church teacher, preacher who tells you anything other than faith in repentance in Jesus Christ will take you to heaven. Understand you have found yourself in a false church and under false teaching. That's critical. If any church tells you that they can get you to heaven, please run. This church cannot get you to heaven. This church can point you to the one who can. His name is Jesus. This church could not save anybody if it wanted to. This pastor could not save anybody if I wanted to. And trust me, there's a lot of people that I would love to save, but I can't. Only Jesus saves. All of us have sinned against God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Every single one of us left to our own devices is headed to an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. We're all deserving of death, the Bible says. Because I've sinned, because you've sinned, we're all destined for hell. But God loves you too much to allow you to go to hell, unloved and without a second chance. And Jesus came and died on the cross in our place to save us from our sin. God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I was supposed to die, Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to pay the penalty of my sin, Jesus paid the price for me. But it requires faith and repentance on your part. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that I cannot make it to heaven on my own and I put my faith and trust in Jesus alone to save me from my sins. That's the only way that you can be saved, friend. If you've never been saved before, there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, you need to be saved. Jesus said this, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. It's the only way you're getting to heaven. There's no alternate path to heaven other than Jesus. John 14, six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus claims to be the exclusive path to heaven. So any church who claims to be a path to heaven is really in competition with Jesus and you're gonna lose every time. Any church that claims to be a gatekeeper to heaven, you're taking the place of Jesus Christ, which is a dangerous and blasphemous place to be. So baptism is a testimony that testifies, first of all, of salvation. Anyone who is baptized scripturally in a local New Testament church is saying, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my savior and today I am following Jesus to show my commitment to him. When my wife and I got married, we had a small wedding ceremony and we uh, invited our immediate family. And that day she gave me a ring. It's not this ring here. Uh, this is a ring that I got off on Amazon for $10. Uh, but uh, she gave me a ring that day as a symbol of a commitment that we had made to one another. And when I wear a ring on my left ring finger and it's a plain band, it is a testimony that I have given myself to another person. Now, you weren't there the day that I got married, but this ring here kind of gives you the idea that I've committed myself to another person. That's what salvation does, or I'm sorry, baptism does. It testifies of my salvation. Two weeks ago, we had 10 people get baptized over at Alamona Beach Park, and all 10 of those gave a story of how they came to faith in Jesus Christ and how they had accepted him as Lord and Savior. That day in baptism, they were saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I don't care who knows it. Next, it, baptism testifies of a desire to follow Jesus in obedience. Jesus said that we should be baptized, even gave us an example to follow of how to be baptized. And by being baptized, I'm actually saying, I wanna follow after Jesus. I'm not gonna be an undercover Christian. 
I'm not going to keep it quiet. I'm not going to make it so that nobody knows. I'm willing to publicly identify in front of uh, Alamo Beach Park thousands of people that I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I don't care who knows it. And so it's a testimony that I want to obey Jesus. One of the requirements that you, before you're baptized is first of all that you're saved. The second requirement that we would have as a church is that you would be living in accordance with scripture and obedience. For that reason, people who are living in rebellion to God and sin, purposely rebelling against God, we would not allow them to be baptized because baptism is a picture that you want to obey Jesus. For example, someone who's living in an unrepentant life of sin, say for example of drugs or alcohol or sexual perversion or addiction to pornography. I know what I'm supposed to do, I just don't wanna do it. I'm living in rebellion to God and I don't care who knows it. Maybe a couple who's living together outside of wedlock. I know that we're living in sin, but we don't care who knows it. We would ask you to just wait to be baptized until you want to obey Jesus in every area of your life. Because we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, saying that they are Lord. The word Lord means master. And I can't say, well, I want to obey Jesus in baptism, but I want to continue to do my own thing in drugs and alcohol and sexual activity or uh, anger issues or pride issues or, uh, you know, drama and unrest and things like that. No, no, no. It doesn't mean to be baptized, you have to be perfect because none of us have ever gotten baptized. It just says that I want to obey Jesus. And this is the way that I prove it by being baptized today. Baptism testifies as a visible, public, tangible way, a symbol of an inward commitment that we've already made. You see, the only person in this room that I know 100% sure is saved, the only person that is, is me. Otherwise, I'm just going based on what you've told me, your story of how you came to Christ. And I'm taking you at your word that when you, uh, some of you, are, was even there the day that you prayed the prayer and asked Jesus to save you, I can only assume that the commitment that you made to Jesus was a real commitment. And the way that you show that commitment that you made on the inside is by publicly displaying to others, I'm gonna follow Jesus by being baptized. And so baptism is a public display of a commitment that you've already made on the inside. And man, in our time at Huikala, we'll be, we'll be seven years old this fall. I can't believe, man, time has gone like that. We'll be seven years old this October. In the last seven years, we've seen over 200 people baptized here at Huikala. Man, amazing, amazing to see the things that God's done here. But every single one of those is saying, hey, I'm making a commitment to follow Jesus. Now, there, there's one instance in our, in our church uh, here that we have that I'm not proud of and that I wish it hadn't happened, where, it's funny, I was talking with my kids last night, my daughter, Makili, she's 11. I asked her, you know, what is baptism? She said, baptism is a symbol of a commitment that we made to Jesus. And I said, uh, can unsaved people be baptized? And she said, no. And I said, does that mean that every person who's ever gotten baptized is saved? And she goes, yes. I go, really? And she goes, wait, this is a trick question, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Here's what happened to us. And again, with all the, the checks and balances in place, things like this happen. There's a single lady who had come to our church uh, several years ago. Uh, was not a believer. She was hanging out with a lot of Christian friends. Was coming to our singles Bible study. Was getting involved and learning and growing. She began discipleship and uh, began the process of, of learning what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus. Was not saved. And then one Saturday, she said, Pastor, I, I believe that I'm ready to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Man, I asked her a hundred different questions. We went through the gospel one last time. I said, if you're really sure of that, I said, I want you to, first of all, confess your sin before God. And secondly, Tell him that you're willing to receive his gift of eternal life and accept Jesus as Savior. I mean, she did. She cried and everything. After that, she said, I want to be baptized. And for me, this is just 
personal preference in the, in the book of Acts, you see people get saved and baptized in the same day. I like to get a, a little bit of a buffer room so that people don't confuse baptism and salvation. Uh, because a lot of times you ask people, you know, tell me about when you accepted Christ as Savior. Well, I got baptized when I was 15. Hmm. Let's talk about when you got saved. And so for me, personal preference, you know, it, it doesn't have to be this way everywhere. I like to give a little bit of buffer so that you can separate the day that you got saved and when you got baptized. And so I just asked her, hold off for a couple of weeks. And so she did. And she said, no, Pastor, I'm really ready to get baptized. I'm ready to get started on my walk with Jesus and be discipled and stuff like that. I said, okay. And so, uh, you know, again, I talked through her salvation experience. And, you know, are you sure that you want to do this? Is that a decision you're sure that you wanted to make? And she said, yes. And so next time we get baptized, we baptized her and I think four other people. Then a few months went by, she kind of fell off and fell out of church and things like that. Uh, I saw her about a year or so ago and I began to talk to her about you know, coming back to church and she said, Pastor, here's the problem, I just don't believe. And I said, well, at what point do you feel like you lo lost your faith in Christ? And she goes, honestly, I don't think I ever really had it. Ugh. And that hurt to hear that. And we had to talk through things. And I felt pressured by the friends that I was hanging out with. And I thought maybe make a deeper connection with the friends that I had if we were all Christians. And so I kind of did it because I thought it would make them happy. And um, I never really felt it. And I said, oh, we had these conversations. And she goes, Pastor, I just told you what you wanted to hear because I really wanted to get baptized. Oh, that was like a punch to the gut. Uh, and so just because somebody gets baptized in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church does not necessarily mean that that person's saved. It's simply a symbol, and some people can fake it. Uh, you can go to a jewelry store this afternoon and buy yourself a wedding band and put it on and say that you're married to somebody. doesn't mean anything unless you've really been married. So baptism, it's important to understand, has no bearing whatsoever on our actual salvation. But we should be saved first, then we should be scripturally baptized. Next, as we look at baptism, it's also about obedience. Baptism really boils down to not only being a symbol and identification of us, a testimony for us, it boils down to obedience. Uh, Jesus himself was baptized as an example. Jesus came to John the Baptist and says, hey, John, I want you to baptize me. And John goes, uh-uh, no, sir. You're the one that should be baptizing me. And I can imagine, you know, the, the Bible speaks about how Jesus said to John, no, John, I really want you to baptize me. And John did. I don't know how it happened, but I imagine like Jesus like getting up in John's face and going, John, I'm not going to tell you again. Baptize me, dude. Okay, got it. I, I don't know how it happened. That's how I imagine it in my mind. But he says, no, I don't have the, I don't have the authority to baptize you. And, and John was right. Who of us would have the authority to baptize God in the flesh? John's like, mm-mm, not baptizing you. You're the one who should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, John, I want you to baptize me. And the Bible says that when Jesus came up out of the water, there's a voice that they heard from heaven who said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended from heaven like a dove. We see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, there in that moment of baptism. Special moment because Jesus says, this is how it's done from here on out. And again, we notice that Jesus wasn't sprinkled. Jesus went down into the Jordan River and was baptized. Uh, we notice that Jesus was baptized under authority. Who was the authority? He was the authority. He says, I want you to baptize me. And he was the head of the church. And so he had the authority to baptize that's why sometimes we've had folks who have come to our church who says, oh, you know, uh, I got baptized one time in the Jordan River when we were on a, a trip to Israel. Well, who baptized you? Some guy that was out there just baptizing folks. <laughs> That's fun, you know? You get to jump in the Jordan River and go underwater. That's great. Let's not call it a baptism because baptism happens by immersion after salvation under the authority of a local New Testament church. And so 
If our church took a mission trip or a, a sightseeing trip to, to Israel and we decided to go there and we wanted to baptize while we're there, the people that were part of our church, 100%, let's do it. That would be a biblical baptism. But baptism is an identification and it's obedience, first of all, with Jesus. And then secondly, Jesus actually commissioned us to baptize other believers in his name as well. We call this the Great Commission. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts, all identify times where Jesus says, I want you to go into all the world, tell people about me, baptize them in my name, and teach them what I said. So we boil that down to go, win, baptize, teach. It's a Great Commission. Baptism is part of the Great Commission. And we don't just baptize people in the name of our church. We baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's important to notice too, we baptize them in the name of, not the names of. Singular, name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know why? Because our God is three distinct persons in one. We call that the Trinity. And so the Trinity is seen in the Great Commission where we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Trinity is actually found in the baptism of Jesus Christ where the, the Son was being baptized. The Father said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit came down and descended like a dove. And again, when it comes to doctrine, anyone who would deny the doctrine is not a, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity is not a Bible-believing Christian. So again, a lot of doctrine wrapped up in, in baptism for sure about obedience to Jesus. It's about obedience and carrying out his commission to go into all the world and make a difference with our lives by winning them to Christ, baptizing them, and then teaching them what Jesus wants them to do with the rest of their life. Next, baptism is also about identification. It's not only testimony of the fact that we've been saved. It's not about only obeying Jesus Christ. It's about actually identifying with three distinct points. First of all, baptism identifies us with Jesus Christ himself. And not just Jesus and the fact that he was also baptized, but it identifies us with Jesus' death, burial, and his resurrection. If you have your notes handy today, you take a look at your notes at Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Go to turn there in your Bible, you can do that too, Romans 6, 3 and 4. <coughs> it says, Know you not that so many of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. When people are baptized, they walk into the water, and that's a symbol of the death of Jesus Christ. When they are submerged under the water, it's a picture of the burial of Jesus Christ. When they come up out of the water, it's a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's a picture just like Romans uh, 6 says here, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, imagine somebody walks up here, I grab a cup of water, and I pour it over the top of their head. What does that symbolize? Um, not really sure. It doesn't symbolize anything. That's why baptism takes place by complete immersion, uh, because it pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's what it says too. When we're raised as Jesus Christ was raised, verse number four says, now we're raised to walk, notice what it says there, in newness of life. Just as Jesus was raised from the grave of his own power, you and I are raised to now not live the old life because the old us is dead. Now we have a new life in Christ. And so now we're raised to walk in that newness of life because we've been identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
So baptism identifies us, first of all, with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. Secondly, it also identifies us with other believers. This day of Pentecost was a day in, for human history where 3,000 people were saved, baptized, and added to Jesus' church. And you know what the cool thing about all those people that got baptized that day? For those of us that are Christians, for those of us that have been baptized, these are our brothers and sisters that got baptized this day. These are our brothers in Christ, our sisters in Christ, who said also, I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to commit my life to him. I want to be baptized. And so by being baptized, we're identifying not only with Christ, but also thousands of years of believers who says, I want to follow Jesus Christ too. So for us, when we baptize folks, I always encourage you to go over there and watch the baptism because for these folks, it's going to be one of the biggest days of their Christian life. But as we go over there, also, it's not only a remembrance of, of what Jesus has done, it's also a remembrance of what Jesus has done for me. Angela and I like going to, to weddings. It's kind of weird because nobody really likes weddings. We do. Uh, because most of the weddings that we go to, I, I usually end up presiding. Uh, and I have a, a rule of thumb for weddings. If it's longer than 20 minutes, nobody wants to be there, right? Nobody. Here's the thing. I know, and again, if this was you at your wedding, I love you and I'm for you and I would sit through it with a smile. But the whole thing where they get like two things of sand and they pour it into one big container of sand while somebody plays some song really slowly. And then they're trying to pour the sand really, really slow so it takes up the whole song, right? It's just like, come on already. And then they finish the sand too early and they kind of stand back and like awkwardly stand there and look at it while a song plays, right? It's weird for everybody, right? Like, nobody wants to do that. Like, are you willing to commit? Are you willing to commit? Let's go. Uh, that's, that's it. That's all we got to do. And so the, the, the lighting of the unity candle where the parents come up and one lights there's too quick and the other one's still trying to get the little lighter to start. That's just weird, right? And so you laugh because you know it's true, right? And so when people come to weddings that I do, they're like, that was quick, but it was beautiful. Exactly. That's how it should be done. But Angela and I love it because it reminds us of the day that we got married, you know? Our wedding was really small. We had our, only our immediate family there. We got baptized on a beach in Florida. And it wasn't like we, we didn't get a wedding venue. We just walked out on this beach at 6 o'clock and got married. And then we went back in and had, had dinner. It was awesome. It was beautiful. But when we remember that, our wedding day, when we see other people get married, we remember the commitments that they're making. We made those same commitments, man, two plus decades ago. And it brings back up in us a remembrance of how far God's brought us. And for me, we have baptisms over at Alamona Beach Park. I remember the day that I got baptized. I was nine years old. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew that I wanted to follow Jesus. I remember as a single adult and a married adult and later wanting to carry out that commitment to a greater degree now that I knew. As we baptize over there, I'm able to look around at the people that are there for the baptism, that are celebrating these people that are being baptized and remember the day that they got baptized. It was awesome. Two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to, to baptize Steve. And I remember when I baptized uh, uh, his girlfriend, Kimberly, almost a year ago in that exact same spot. I had the opportunity to, to baptize Jacob. And I remember that about a year ago in that exact same spot, I baptized his friend Shaday that he and his wife, Gina, had brought to church. And just a remembrance of what God's done and what God's doing in the life of other believers and how we're identifying now. Hey, now it's my turn that I get to follow Jesus in this way. And so baptism identifies us, first of all, with Jesus. Secondly, it identifies us with other believers. Thirdly, it always, uh, baptism always identifies us with a body of doctrine, with a body of truth. It connects me with a belief system or a belief structure if you were baptized, 
in a church believing that your baptism saved you, that's what your baptism connects you to. It connects you to false doctrine. When people have come to, uh, to us from other churches who don't subscribe to good, solid biblical doctrine and we've asked them to be baptized scripturally and thankfully many people have, have humbly said, I would be willing to be baptized under good, solid doctrine. Thankful for that. Maybe they were baptized in a church that had bad doctrine and we need to baptize them scripturally because now they want to identify with good doctrine. We see what we might use the term rebaptism for. We find it in the book of Acts chapter number 19. There was a group of uh, folks who were followers of John and they had um, followed after John's doctrine, which was good doctrine. And they were baptized under John. And so a uh, guy comes to their church here, Paul, and says, hey, have you guys got the Holy Spirit? And they go, huh, what are you talking about Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit? Um, what baptism were you baptized under? Because Christians were baptized under the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you don't even know who the Holy Spirit is, who did you get baptized under? And they said, oh, we're, we're followers of John. Good. And know this, John wasn't bad doctrine. You know what John said? The Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he's gonna set you free from your sins. And people said, I believe that. I wanna be baptized. And so these people, this is critical. They got baptized believing that the Messiah would come, and when the Messiah came, that he would set them free from their sins. Everybody with me so far? They got baptized believing that God would send the chosen one who would set them free from their sins. And they said, I believe that, and they got baptized. But now Paul comes to them and says, no, 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 you don't understand. Messiah has already come and his name was Jesus. And they said, oh, got it. And so he says, now you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So if you take a look at Acts chapter uh, number 19, verse number one, and it came to pass while Apollos is at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples, he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, unto them what you were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then Paul, then said Paul, John verily baptized you with the baptism of repentance. They were repenting of their sin saying to the people they should believe on him which should come after him. They're being baptized in faith, believing that the Messiah would come, that is, on Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Oh, got it. We were baptized before under a doctrine that no longer exists. We want to be baptized now under right doctrine. We were baptized before into a belief that the Messiah was coming. Now we want to be baptized into the belief that Messiah has come. This could be synonymous to, oh, we were baptized in a church that we thought our baptism saved us. Now we want to be baptized under good doctrine, the fact that Jesus saves us, not our baptism. Oh, got it. The church that we were a part of wasn't really a church at all. It was a religious structure. We want to be baptized now saying that we identify with Jesus Christ and his word. We want to follow after biblical baptism now. So when we're baptized, it always connects us with a body of doctrine. That's why when people come to unite with who we call it in church membership, we say, I say, tell me about when you got saved. Tell me your salvation experience. I want to hear how they got saved. Secondly, tell me where you were baptized at, the, the church, the circumstances, things along those lines. And let me tell you, I've heard every story that you could possibly imagine. One lady had come to our church and she said, well, I was baptized at summer camp. Oh, is it a church camp that you went to? No, it's just a summer camp that my parents sent me to. Interesting. Tell me about that. 
And she said, well, when, um, you know, we were all, uh, the girls, it was a girls' camp, and so the girls were swimming in the pool, and the, the teacher says, Any, if anybody wants to, to follow Jesus and go to heaven, uh, on the count of three, go under the water. And she goes, that's when I was baptized. Okay, uh, let's talk through the gospel. Have you ever been saved? And she goes, well, I think that day was the day that I decided to follow Jesus. Great, let's back up even further then. Uh, and so we went through the gospel. Here's the awesome news. She got saved. And then like three weeks later, she got baptized. She realized that wasn't really baptism. You got it. So again, we have to ask ourselves, have we been scripturally baptized? Have we been baptized in a church of solid doctrine? And again, at the end of the day, uh, I'm not one who's gonna you know, critique every line item of somebody's doctrinal statement. I'll find out, do they believe the Bible? Are they uh, following after Jesus? Uh, do they not propagate false doctrine and false gospel? If so, then, then you can join with us. Uh, because the Bible says that there's one baptism that actually makes up the church, and that baptism is... Uh, Biblical baptism of Jesus' church. Baptism is a gift that's given to the local church. Again, we call it an ordinance. Jesus ordained two ways to remember him, baptism and the Lord's Supper. We'll talk about the Lord's Supper next week and why that's so important to us. But baptism is a gift that's given to the local church. You see, when somebody gets saved, they don't get baptized in their pool of their neighbor's house. They don't get baptized in their own bathtub. They don't do it privately. The people before who said, Pastor, can I get a private baptism because like I don't like large, large crowds. It's kind of embarrassing to be in front of people. That's the opposite of what baptism is. Baptism is a public display saying, I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I might be intimidated to be in front of people, but I'm willing to put that on the line because following Jesus is the most important thing to me. No such thing as private baptism. That's actually the opposite of what it means to be baptized. Look, these folks in the book of Acts, chapter number two, 3,000 people were saved, baptized, added to Jesus' church. Many of those people lost their jobs, lost their homes, lost their families. Some of them would even be put to death as a result of their commitment to follow Jesus. So you and I to say, well, I don't like big crowds. It weirds me out. Get over yourself. These people like lost their lives for their faith. And I have to say, Jesus is more important to me than my own feelings and I'm willing to proudly stand and say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I don't care who knows it. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are two ordinances that are given to the local church. We'll take a look in uh, the next point why we don't call it a sacrament. Again, words carry weight. Words mean something. So we gotta make sure that we're using the correct terminology. We call it an ordinance because Jesus ordained that we would do it. He gave us guidelines to follow when we did it. He told us how to baptize. He told us how to receive the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, communion, whatever you want to call it. He gave us guidelines on how to carry that out. It's important to know, if you get nothing else today out of today's message, know this. Baptism never has and never will save anyone, ever. And a good way to spot a false teacher is anybody who says otherwise. Any way to identify a cult is for them to say, our church is the only way to heaven or our baptism is the only way to heaven. Friend, Jesus is the only way to heaven. God's word gives us the only guide to heaven. The church merely facilitates people being able to find Jesus Christ. Now, it's important, again, that we define terms. The term sacrament means a way or a means of attaining grace. The Catholic Church has seven sacraments, which they believe are ways that they can receive grace, i.e., way that they attain salvation is by following these seven sacraments. The first of those is baptism. If you are not baptized, do not pass go, do not collect $200, immediately go to jail, also known as purgatory slash hell. 
You can't go any further unless you're baptized according to the Catholic Church because that is the first sacrament. Now, I highly recommend that you do your homework on this. I'm not going based on Catholic views, based on what a friend told me or some guy that I was in the military with told me one time or a church that I attended one time. I bought myself a copy of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is a book about this thick that contains Catholic Church doctrine. And I play a fun little game with a highlighter called Spot the Heresy uh, that you go through and you highlight things that don't line up with Scripture. And it's a fun game to play. You should play it sometime. Seriously, you should read it. In the opening chapters of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, they will tell you that the Catholic Church derives their doctrine from the Word of God and church tradition. And they put those things on equal footing. That if the church does it and the Bible forbids it, we're going to go with it because it's what the church does. It also tells that the Pope has the ability to speak in what's called ex cathedra, or literally from the chair. That anything that the Pope says is on the same lines as Scripture he has the ability to speak on behalf of God and is actually called the vicar of Christ, V-I-C-A-R, meaning he stands vicariously in place of Jesus and can speak with Christ's authority. Friend, that should give you chicken skin and cause you to want to run. Oftentimes, I'll have Catholic folks that I talk to that say, well, Catholics, you know, believe that we're all going to heaven, we're all going to the same place. Friend, if you read what your church believes about the Bible, they'll tell you that I'm going to hell because I've never been baptized in the Catholic church. I'll tell you that my family's going to hell because they've never received baptism. They've never received uh, baptism through the Catholic Church. They've never received communion. They've never received uh, confession. They've never gone through a catechism. And according to your doctrinal statement that you have yourself, we're not going to the same place. I'm going to quote some parts again. Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, section 1084. Seated at the right hand of the Father and pouring out the Holy Spirit on his body, which is the church, Christ now acts through the sacraments he instituted to communicate his grace. In other words, if you and I want to receive grace, it's through the sacraments. The sacraments are perceptible signs, words, and actions accessible to our human nature. By the action of Christ and power of the Holy Spirit, they make present efficacy the grace that they signify. In other words, for you and I to receive God's grace, his favor, his forgiveness, the only way that we can access those things is through the sacraments. Where do you find the sacraments? In the Catholic Church. So according to their very own doctrinal statement, there is no salvation found outside of the Catholic Church. Now it's important to understand that we get a false view of baptism. We took a look at what baptism is. It's simply a symbol. It's just a picture that I've made a commitment to follow Jesus. But when we hear other churches say things differently, what should our ears perk up at? First of all, the term baptismal regeneration is a massive, major red flag. Baptismal regeneration is the incorrect belief that our baptism is directly connected to our salvation. Those who subscribe to the idea of baptismal regeneration say, if you've confessed your sin, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, but have not yet been baptized, you're still on your way to hell. Baptismal regeneration carries the idea that the water washes your sins away and that you are made clean by the baptismal waters that the actual regenerating work of making you a new creature in Christ takes place at your baptism. That's a major problem. What about for those who have no access to water? What about those who don't have access to be baptized? What about those who profess their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior but die before their baptism? What happens to them? Well, according to the view of baptismal regeneration, they die and go to hell. And friend, 
if my sin could be washed away with water, why would we need a Savior? If it's only a matter of me going into the water and being released of my sins and being regenerated and made a new creature, what role does Jesus play in any of this? Let me just tell you, the water that we baptize in over at Alamona Beach Park, you know what it is? It's just ocean water. And depending on the time of the year that you get baptized, you might bring more out of the water with you than you leave in the water when you get there. Just saying, I try to keep an eye on it, but just water. And the idea that that water is holy or sacred, there's kids on pool noodles out there in that sacred, holy water. It's water. It's the ocean. There's nothing special about it. There's nothing sacred or holy about it. It's a decision that we make. I'm going to follow Jesus and the commitment that I make is a holy, sacred moment. It's special. It's unique. It's like none other. It's, it's funny, you know, again, churches have different preferences on the way that they baptize and things like that, even scriptural, doctrinal churches. I've been in churches before when somebody's baptized, everybody really quietly says, amen. It's like, that's kind of weird, but okay, uh, whatever. I love our church. You know what we do? We clap, we scream, we whistle, we're excited, we jump up and down, we high five, we hug, man. It's exciting. You're making a decision today to follow Jesus for the rest of your life, man. That is huge. We want to celebrate that with you. But baptism or regeneration says, no, no, this is where your new life begins. And all those who have never been baptized, they're still destined for an eternal hell. Baptismal regeneration posits the idea that salvation is directly linked to our baptism. That couldn't be further from the truth. Baptismal regeneration or the sacraments of the Catholic Church or even the sacraments of the Mormon Church or any other church that links baptism directly with salvation forgets the fact that we don't receive grace through the sacraments. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8 says, by faith are you saved through grace. I'm sorry, by grace are you saved through faith. Yeah, you're saved by grace, but you don't get it through the sacraments. You get it through faith. And friend, if you or any other human being on planet Earth will be saved today, it will be because of their faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. That's it. Only way that somebody can be saved. And if anybody tells you other, they're leading you astray. According to the Catholic Church, baptism is the first and chief sacrament of forgiveness of sins because it unites us with Christ who died for our sins and rose for our justification so that we to might walk in newness of life. Notice that last phrase there that's in quotes. That's actually Romans chapter six. That's the worst part about the catechism of the Catholic Church is if you read it, there's enough Bible that's paraphrased or taken out of context to lead you to believe that this is actually from the scripture. Couldn't be further from the truth. Baptism never saved anyone. According to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, section 977, when we made our first profession of faith while receiving the holy baptism that cleansed us, the blood of Jesus didn't cleanse you. Repentance didn't cleanse you. According to them, baptism cleansed you. And forgiveness we received that was so full and complete there remained in us absolutely nothing left to efface, neither original sin nor offensive committed by our own will, nor was there left any penalty to suffer in order to expiate them. In other words... When we were baptized, we were cleansed of all of our sin forever. Original sin, past sin. There's nothing left that anybody could do further after our baptism to save us from our sin. One of the things that I love about the Catholic Church, I just said that. One thing, they're vehemently, vehemently opposed to abortion. They hate it with every fiber of their being and they will fight to the last breath for the life of children. And for that, 
kudos, I'm on your side. Why are Catholics so vehemently against abortion? Do they believe in the right to life? Do they believe that God is sovereign in all things? You know what they actually believe? They believe that any child who is aborted goes to hell because they didn't get a chance to be baptized. And if children die before they're able to actually have baptism, then they're gonna go to hell. So they're for life just for the wrong reason. We would say that God protects children until the day that they can come to their need to put their faith and trust in Christ and understand the gospel and come to a place of accountability of their sin before God. We're for life because God is sovereign, because God doesn't do anything on accident. God does everything on purpose, and God knows what he's doing, and everyone deserves a right to live. According to section 1250 of the Catechism, born with a fallen human nature and tainted by original sin, children also have the need of a new birth and baptism to be freed from the power of darkness and brought into the realm of freedom as children of God, which all men are called. The sheer gratuitousness of the grace of salvation is particularly manifest in infant baptism. The church and parents would deny a child the priceless grace of becoming a child of God were they not to confer baptism shortly after birth. In other words, they need to be baptized so they can become a child of God. They need to be baptized so that they can receive grace, so that they can receive forgiveness of sin. If you could show me a single place in the Bible where a baby was baptized, I would baptize every single baby I could get my hands on. Every single one without fail. The Bible never prescribes infant baptism. And again, if you trace back the source of infant baptism, that 200 AD split that we saw in the church, baptismal regeneration and infant baptism is what split the church. You see that was carried on in Catholic tradition. But the 1600s, we'll see a split in what's called the Protestant Reformation where many uh, folks left the Catholic church and created their own denominations off of that. But a lot of them, Lutheranism and Episcopalians and Anglicans continued the tradition of infant baptism that they learned from Catholicism. And again, if you could find a shred of biblical evidence in it, we would do it in a heartbeat. But in the Bible, you always find people baptized by immersion after salvation under the authority of a local church. That's just how it's done. Section 1257, the Lord himself, this, this, I saw this and I screamed aloud. The Lord himself affirms that baptism is necessary for salvation. No scripture reference given for that one because it's just not there. Jesus never said baptism is necessary for salvation. He also commands that disciples proclaim the gospel to all nations and to baptize them. That's true. Again, the worst part about this is there's so much truth mixed with error. What are you supposed to do? You know what the Catholic Church says? Just take our word for it. We're good. Don't read into it. Don't study it. Just take our word for it. And there's enough truth mixed with error that you don't know which end is up if you're not discerning. The church does not know of any means other than baptism that assures entry into the eternal beatitude. This is why she takes care not to neglect the mission she's received from the Lord to see that all can be baptized or reborn of the water and spirit. Did you just read that? There's no other way to heaven than baptism. They just said it. And not just any baptism, their baptism through the Catholic church. So again, we need to understand when we're talking to Catholics who are real deal Catholics, these are not our brothers and sisters in Christ. These are not Christians who just happen to believe a little bit differently than us. Sometimes people say, well, well, I'm a Catholic and I believe the same things that you do. I believe in Jesus and he's the only way to heaven and I believe, you know, everything. I just worship differently in the fact that I light candles and I pray the rosary. If you are really believe what the Catholic Church says, you're trusting in your baptism to take you to heaven and you're saying that baptism is the only way to heaven. And friend, that could not be further from the truth. You know who says they're the only way to heaven? Jesus I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. 
Jesus claims exclusive access to be able to get to heaven. He's the only way to heaven. We as Bible-believing Christians can say, we know no other way to heaven than Jesus Christ himself and the repentance of sins and faith in him. That was a biblical statement. I don't mean to belabor, but 1267 section. By baptism, all sins are forgiven. Original sins, all personal sins, as well as punishment for sin. And those who have been reborn, nothing remains that would impede their entry into the kingdom of God, either Adam's sin or personal sin or consequences of sin, the gravest of which is separation from God. <laughs> Again, after those who have been reborn, there's nothing left in them that would keep them from God? Yes. But how do we get reborn? For them, it's through baptism. For us, it's through salvation in Jesus Christ. So again, we gotta define terms. When I say, have you been born again? Yes, tell me about that experience. It wasn't a baptism experience. Now they would say that you can't even progress in receiving the other sacraments, which they say gives salvation unless you first are baptized. If you were to attend a Catholic mass on Sunday morning and they were to give the, what they call the Eucharist, which they is to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, talk about that next week, you wouldn't be able to receive it unless you've first been baptized. And not baptized over at Alamo Beach Park with our church, baptized in the Catholic church. So you're not worthy to receive eternal life, to receive Jesus, to receive any grace until you've first been baptized. As far as uh, what Mormons believe, this is according to mormon.org, baptism by immersion in water, by one having authority, meaning the Mormon church, is the first saving ordinance of the gospel and is necessary for an individual to become a member of the Church of Jesus Christ and to receive eternal salvation. According to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is not a Christian organization, they say the only way to heaven is through our church, through our baptism. Anybody who's not been baptized in our church is gonna to go to hell. Now, for Mormons, they have what they call baptism by proxy, where if your uncle has died and he was not a believer and was not baptized in their church, you can be baptized on his behalf so that he can go to heaven. They call it baptism for the dead. So you can get baptized for Uncle Zeke and Uncle Zeke now gets a, a fast pass to, to heaven. And he doesn't have to wait in line and he just gets to go straight up. Here's the thing. If you could point to a place in the Bible where we could do that, man, I'd get baptized until my fingers turned to raisins this afternoon for people I know and love that died without Jesus. Not a shred of biblical evidence for any of it, though. Here's the major problem. Uh, also, I'll go through this really quickly. United Church of Christ. United Church of Christ is a very popular denomination, religion in Hawaii. Because if you trace back Hawaii's Christian roots, and you really should sometime, if you've never gone to the Hawaii Mission Homes over here, it's on Kapilani and King Street, you gotta go there. Rich Christian heritage that, that the state of Hawaii has. You, you, gotta, you gotta check it out. But the, the original missionaries that came were Congregationalists, and they actually preached the real gospel, faith in Jesus Christ, repentance of sin. They later evolved due to bad doctrine into what they are today, which is called the United Church of Christ. Uh, a lot of the really old churches in Hawaii are United Church of Christ or Congregationalist churches. According to their church website, they believe that all baptized people belong body and soul to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Get this. No matter who, no matter what, no matter where we are on life's journey, notwithstanding race, gender identity, expression, sexual orientation, class, or creed, we all belong to God in one worldwide community of faith. Meaning, if you call him Allah, I call him God, we're all one big family. 
if, if you believe that Jesus Christ was just a regular guy and, and, and I believe that he was the son of God, we're all one big family together. And all persons baptized, past, present, and future, are connected to each other and to God through the sacrament of baptism. What it connects us is not our faith and belief in the Bible, in God's word. Our, we're connected through a community of faith, whatever that means, and baptism connects us. Here's the problem with everyone who places all their eggs in the basket of baptism. Since the church is the keeper of baptism and baptism is the means of salvation, then the church becomes the gatekeeper of salvation. And that is wrong on 10,000 levels. The Catholic church would say there's no salvation apart from the Catholic church. The Mormon church would say there's no salvation apart from the Mormon church. There's no hope. So if you're not part of that church, you're toast. We would say, you don't have to go to a church at all to go to heaven. You just need to repent of your sins and have faith in Jesus Christ. I don't care what the name of the church is that you go to. I want you to be baptized because it's obedience to Jesus that identifies you with other believers. But if you don't get baptized, it's you missing out. You're still going to heaven. You can still be a child of God and not be baptized. Now you can't be an obedient, fruitful child of God and not be baptized. But when the church becomes the thumbs up or thumbs down as far as who goes to heaven or hell, you put yourself in a dangerous position. You know why? Because you've taken the place of Jesus. And that's one of the most blasphemous things that one could possibly do. Now, I said this was a lot of information, a lot of teaching, and it is. Here's the application. Here's what you get to do with what you've learned. First of all, if you've never been biblically baptized, be baptized. Simple as it. Really easy. We... When we get enough people together, we've even done it with one person before. Go over to Alamona Beach Park after service, baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and help you to walk in newness of life with Jesus. If you've never been baptized biblically, do that. Maybe you got baptized and then you got saved later. Get baptized after salvation by immersion in a church of solid Bible doctrine. Maybe you got baptized in a church that teaches false doctrine. Get baptized in a church and identify with good Bible doctrine. Next. Remember the commitment that you made when you got baptized. I remember that desire to want to follow after Jesus and I want to carry on that commitment. I remember the change that God had brought about in my life then when I accepted Christ as Savior. When I got baptized, I remember the joy that I have wanting to follow after Jesus. Remember that and carry it out this week. Next, know what you believe and why you believe it. Because my pastor said is a terrible reason to believe anything. I want to give you good doctrine. I want to give you good teaching, but you got to become a Bible scholar. You got to become a self-feeder where you're learning what you know because the Bible says so. Because my pastor told me it's a good place to start. It's a terrible place to stop. Become a scholar of God's word. Learn God's word like never before. Next, become discerning when it comes to matters of doctrine. Just because something calls itself Christian doesn't make it Christian. There is music on Christian radio that is far from Christian. There's one song in particular, when it comes on, my blood boils. I have been known to shout at the radio when this song comes on. And the, the tune's really catchy, too. I'm going down to the water, down to the water, down to the water to pray. I've been washed in the water, washed in the water, and came up in amazing grace. I want to go down, down, down to the river. 
What's that song teaching? Baptismal regeneration. That you go down to the river, you got baptized, your sins were washed away, and when you came up out of the water, you were in God's amazing grace. Couldn't be further from the truth. Another song, I think it's a country song. I only heard it once, but it made my blood boil when I heard it. Somebody's talking about their, she's talking about her baptism. And she says, there must have been something in the water because I went down and I came up and I felt free and I felt fresh. There must have been something in the water. <laughs> Friend, ain't nothing in the water except, you know, bacteria. <laughs> there must have been something in the blood of Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. So just because something has Christianish ideas doesn't make it Christian. Just because it's in the Christian section at the bookstore doesn't make it Christian. Just because somebody calls himself a Christian doesn't mean that they're a Christian. Just because somebody prays before their meal doesn't mean that they're a Christian. I need to be discerning. Next, I need to learn more about other faiths enough to be able to speak intelligently and be discerning. You should know what Jehovah's Witnesses believe and why they're not Christians. You should know what Mormons believe and why they're not Christians. You should know what the real Catholic Church teaches and why they're not Christians. Does that mean somebody can, who calls himself Catholic can't be saved? I didn't say that. There are people who call themselves Baptists that aren't saved. People who call themselves, you know, Presbyterians and Methodists that aren't saved. But if somebody really ascribes to Catholic doctrine and theology, that's anti-biblical and they're not a Christian. But I need to know enough to speak intelligently to that. I went to lunch with a, a guy two years ago was recommended to me by a friend. Hey, I got this guy that I, that I go to school with. He's a, a Catholic, and I'd like to grab lunch and share the gospel. I said, sure, I'd love to. He, he's open to it, too. Man, love it. Sat down, this dude had gone to uh, 12 years of Catholic school, went to a Catholic university, and this dude came ready to fight. I didn't come ready to fight, bro. I just came to talk. And so, man, I took three hours and picked his brain. Talk about me me why you guys venerate Mary. Well, we don't venerate Mary. We just believe that she was blessed. Really? Tell me why you pray to Mary. We don't pray to Mary. We pray with Mary. Tell me what the difference is. I don't know. I just tried to speak intelligently to that because I know a lot of things about the Catholic faith and what you're saying doesn't jive with that. I try to know enough about you know Jehovah's Witnesses to be able to talk with them. There's some folks I was helping a guy with his, his, his yard a few years ago. We were working outside. These folks came down with their briefcases walking really slow. They said, Hey, we want to give you this card. I want you to check out this website. So what's the website? I'll just read the card. It'll tell you what the website is. It's for our church. What church do you go to? What's the church up the street? What's the name of it? The card tells you everything you want to know. Why are you being so elusive about what church you go to? We put it on T-shirts and hats and keychains. You know, we're happy about the church we go to. Put a sticker on the back of your car if you drive like a Christian. Um, you know, if you don't drive like a Christian, don't put a sticker on your car. But... Um, why are you being so evasive uh, about what church you go to? Oh, it's all on the card. And I look at it, and it's just jw.org. And I give it back to her, I go, oh, no thanks, we're Christians. Oh, we are too. Actually, you're not. Oh, no, yes, we are. We all believe in Jehovah, right? You, don't you believe in Jehovah? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're Christians in the fact that we're Christ followers. You're Christ deniers. No, we believe that Jesus was a God. That's the problem. You believe that he was a God, not the God. And that's where we differ, and we're Christians. We believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. We believe that too. No, you don't. Do you believe that at the end of life, 144,000 of you will be led into heaven and the rest will go into eternal soul sleep? You don't believe in hell. You don't believe that God is going to hold us accountable for our sin and punish us with wrath and judgment. What, did you used to be a Jehovah's Witness? No, I just done my homework. You haven't. Oh, no. Well, yeah, I've been a part of this church for 10 years. You haven't done your homework if you're calling yourself a Christian. 
because the word Christian literally means Christ-like one, Christ follower. And you guys aren't Christ followers at all. You're Christ deniers. We can have a conversation about that. And I didn't do it with a spirit of pride. I didn't do like, oh, let me show you this. I read this. Let me get you with that. That's pride. And pride destroys everything that touches. I just said, I want you to do your homework. I'll tell you what. I'll go look at your website. I've been to your website before. I've actually downloaded a lot of materials from your website before. Every time I go to a house and I see one of your flyers in the front, I always take it with me. I know a lot. Would you do me a favor and would you read through these verses here? Would you just allow God's word to speak to you? And the problem with them is they have their own translation of the Bible. Did you know that? The New World Translation, NWT, where they actually take verses like John 1.1, which nobody could argue with. You could never argue with John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, that's speaking of Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You can't deny the fact that Jesus Christ is God. It's there, black and white. John 1.1, we don't even have to go any further. Conversation over, Jesus is God. So what do they do? They get their own Bible translation called the New World Translation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a lowercase g, God. Wait a minute. You can't do that. You can't just add stuff in and make it say what you want it to say. How do you know that? Being discerning. Oh, they use the Bible like we do. I read John 1-1 with the guy. It said it. I mean, what am I supposed to do? I want you to be discerning. Again, so that here's the last thought, what we do. I want you to live out the gospel in your life with love towards other people. I don't want you to be the guy who comes to lunch ready to fight with people. I want you to be the guy who brings somebody to lunch to love people. Tell me about your church background. Tell me where you come from. You go to a Mormon church. How did you get caught up in that? Did you grow up in that? What are some strengths that that brings to your life? What are some problems and struggles that you've had with that? And for for Jehovah's Witnesses, they're not allowed to receive material from anybody else. They're not allowed to, to sit down and have a Bible study with anybody. They're not even technically allowed to touch other people's literature. And so I'll just ask them, you know, do you know what we as Christians believe about the Bible? Well, you know, we don't want to debate and have a Bible study. No, I just want to tell you, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who is God in the flesh, who came to die for the sins of mankind, and all those that would repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus could be saved. That's what we believe. Well, we kind of believe most of that. Well, you got to believe all of it to be a Christian. And I don't say that to be mean. I'm just saying, like, I want you to know Jesus the way that I know Jesus. For Jehovah's Witnesses, did you know they have to keep a log of all the pamphlets that they pass out and the hours that they spend out on the street because that determines their ranking and whether or not they'll actually make it to heaven or not? It's like you see them standing on the corner of Kayamoku. They're not trying to engage people in conversation. They're not trying to catch you. Hey, can you come over here and give a second to talk about this? They're not. They're just sitting there talking to each other because they're just punching a clock. They're trying to hand out flyers so that they can get rid of them. You see them with a briefcase walking down the street. They're not in a hurry like they got something to do or somewhere they got to be. They're just killing time because they got to go back and fill in hours and they hope that at the end of the day, their hours are more than your hours because you get bumped to the bottom of the list. It's terrible. It's awful. It breaks my heart. If it doesn't do something to your heart, you need to check your heart because God wants everyone to be saved. And friend, if anybody thinks that their baptism saves them, they're woefully underestimating the grace of God. 
And so I want us to be a loving people who are discerning with truth that can help bring other people to Jesus. And maybe there's somebody here today who got baptized believing that baptism saved you. Friend, your baptism didn't, I promise you. Faith and repentance are the only things that could ever save you from your sin. Maybe there's some people who got baptized who realize, I got baptized in a church with bum doctrine. Good, get baptized in a church with good doctrine then. Maybe you've never been baptized because you've been embarrassed or because you don't want to be obedient or whatever the case. Maybe you just need to live a life of that commitment that you made the day that you got baptized. I don't know how God spoke to you today. Here's what I need you know, God speaks. So I want to challenge you today with what you've heard. Take this, follow it away into the teaching bin that you have. Pull it out when you need it. Don't use it as an opportunity to light people up or to call out people for things like that. Just use it to be a discerning Christian. Most important thing in the world if you're here today and you're not saved, let today be the day that you put your faith and trust in Jesus because that's the good stuff that you're looking for. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.